0: And so I'm a proponent of always capitalizing, yes. whether it be there's trillions in capital out there. there Everything is. from you know Indiegogo to angel investors to venture capital to corporate VC to traditional Sovereign debt. fund exactly. Clear bank, Brex. Yes. There's yes. capital everywhere. And one of the things that I would say that I hope everyone's learning is. We need much, much more capital on the sidelines, what we call dry powder. Remember that yes. term from the Bay Area? Yeah. We need much, much more of that than we think we do for two reasons. One, for survival, but two, for thriving. Yes. Because imagine if, you know, one of my, my uh, colleagues is the general counsel of a company that had so much cash that it swallowed a company three times its size. Yeah. And so... I'm a real proponent for capital before you need it. And there are so many ways to get it.
1: Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Promise Filon. Promise is ex CEO of. Tab influence. She has raised over hundred million dollars in capital for her startups. She's had multiple exits. She is a successful author, and she has achieved so much in last few years. For the last few weeks, Promise has been personally mentoring me, and. Every discussion I have with her, I find it extremely valuable and I wanted you guys to, to listen to one of our discussions and to get some of the same value that I get from Promise. So let's get into it. So welcome to the show, Promets. It's great to have you here and find out a bit more about you. I have been following some of your content and some of your work on LinkedIn and other social platforms and online. So yeah, I would love to know what you are working on these days.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me. So, you know, as we talked about kind of before the show, so I've spent most of my career in Silicon Valley as a a tech CEO, venture-backed, And uh, you and I both have that in our background. So we both can kind of relate (laughs) and Mm. share pain on that. But, you know, I sold my company in 2018. I'd been running for about three years. We'd raised a bunch of money and we sold to a public company in July of 2018.
1: Congratulations.
0: yeah. Yeah, thank you. I sort of realized two things, which you probably have heard me talk about, which is one, you know, I've gotten really focused on doing turnarounds. And so what I've been doing since then is I've got a group of investors and we buy to companies and turn them around. And yeah. so I moved from PE or from VC to PE, yeah. uh, right? In uh, acronyms that make sense. And then secondly, I realized that, you know, I'm an underdog or right? I had been an underdog as a woman of color. Yeah. There aren't many of us in Silicon Valley who've You know, raise over 100 million. You know, had successful exits, run tech companies, and raise venture capital. And so, I wrote a book, which I was just showing off to you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Very colorful. But I really captured what I believe are the skills that everyone needs to be a resilient entrepreneur. And one of them is around funding, knowing your story, self management. So there's seven skills. And so I've outlined them in the book. So that's what I've been working on lately is mentoring and writing kind of similar to you.
1: Oh, fantastic. That is great to hear. And I see that you have a lot of experience around around growth and startups. What advice would you have for new and upcoming entrepreneurs or founders of tech startups around growth?
0: Oh, well, I mean, so let's, let's dig into that because where you and I started... When I loved hearing you talk about your story, as you said, look, I've had some successful exits. Other were others were learning experiences. Yes, and I think that's, when right. I talk about growth, that's the first commitment is that it's less about, did I sell it for a billion dollars and more about, did I get great experience? Do I feel fulfilled? And did I grow spiritually? You know, yes. uh, I, I think that entrepreneurship is the biggest spiritual game out there, right? Yeah. Because you, you know, you kind of give it everything with no expectation of the outcome. And so I would say my first advice would be change the perspective. Does it have to be a billion dollar exit or can it be about the the journey? But in terms of lessons for growth, one of the companies that we bought coming into 2019 was in the e-commerce space. And when we hit COVID and this global pandemic that you're experiencing in New Zealand and I'm experiencing in the States is we basically threw away our business model and said, you know, what are we learning from our customers? What do they want from us? And we pivoted our business model from SaaS to transactional, partially transactional over a period of time. And we grew 30% month over month during the worst months of COVID. Yeah. And so when I think about growth, I think about knowing your customer, I think about yeah. being intimate with the data. And I think about being willing to do pretty much anything to drive growth, you know, outside of killing the business. But sometimes yes. you got to let go of your projections and just yep. go for what your customers want. And so that's what this team did. And they were massively successful. They'll more than triple revenue this year.
1: Wow, that is very cool. I would love to dig um... But Let's go. deeper into 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 that, it's like All you right. said that it was a SaaS model to transactional model. Can you um, elaborate a bit on that? So, how did the first, like, what was the first product or the problem you are solving through SaaS, and then what did, how did it work in the transactional model?
0: Great question. So, so to kind of level set a SaaS model is amazing because what you are setting up is a recurring revenue stream, yes. right? So you have you sell the customer one time. Yes. And then you collect on that customer month over month over month. Provided the
1: churn is low.
0: Exactly. I was (laughs) gonna say (laughs) retention. So that's the other part of the business. You want to be able to offer incremental value every time the customer experiences the product, right? You and I both know this. Software Mm -hmm. as a service is really about continuing to add value every time the customer experiences it. So that's always the the foundation. And anyone who's listening. If your SaaS model is failing, it's possibly because your customers are not getting enough value. So, you know, churn, net retention, you and I both have lived by these. And so, this company is in the future of work business, and not to go into too much detail, but they most of their customers are micro SMBs and um, small businesses and teams. And when we came into COVID, we realized that people were summarily just canceling their subscriptions. I mean, yeah. You, seen that. And so we basically said, what if we offered a lifetime subscription to our product that would do two things. A, it would get the customers who were very price sensitive and B, it would allow us to get a larger influx of capital so that we could use it to reinvest in product. And so where SaaS, you get month, you get money every month. Yes, This was a windfall. Yeah. So not only did we affect the P&L, we affected, you know, the cash flow statement, right? Because we got all that cash at once. We yep. knew it's not sustainable, right? Because it changed our unit economics to yep. have less recurring revenue, but it was an opportunity for us to reinvest in our customer base yep. and to respond to the fact that many of them were extremely challenged to continue to subscribe to a lot of the services that they were using. So we did transactional one-time fees where the customer paid us once for a lifetime, and we gained a lot of customer love through that process. As well as cash.
1: <laughs> yes, that is always good. You know, cash flow kills about 80 plus percent of businesses, you know, 80% of businesses, startups, especially new businesses die in the first couple yeah. of years because they run out of cash, pretty much. It's as simple. But then how would you sustain it? I've always wondered this. I've seen this a lot from, say, things like Sumo.com or Sumo app. So lots, they, they, a lot of them, they do things where they offer one-off, one off fee for things like that that you pay one off and then that's it forever it's free. I've joined a couple of things and I bought a couple of things this year because they were just one off forever. And I just wonder how are they going to sustain for the I mean for their for eternity. <laughs>
0: how will it work? So remember that transactional models existed before we had subscriptions. So, yes. <laughs> so those did exist. First of all, you said something that I really want to hit on. When you think about your business, one of the things that I talk about in the book, this the sixth skill, sorry, seventh skill, is the importance of capitalizing everything you do. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people came into 2020 highly undercapitalized. Yes. There were startups that hadn't raised enough money or who were burning money too fast. And there were businesses who didn't have any debt on their on their balance sheet. And had no cash when it, you know, when, when things hit the fan. And yeah. one of the things that I would say is that the title of the book is seven non-negotiable skills to scale your business in uncertain times, yeah. every time it's going to be uncertain. And so yeah. I think the one thing that, that, you know, you and I can agree on is we will live in uncertain times forever. And we should treat our businesses as needing to be anti-fragile through those periods. Yeah. And so I'm a proponent of always capitalizing, yes. whether it be there's trillions in capital out there. That Everything is. from you know Indiegogo to angel investors to venture capital to corporate VC to traditional debt. fund. Exactly. Clear bank, Brex. Yes. Like there's there's yeah. capital everywhere. And one of the things that I would say that I hope everyone's learning is we need much, much more capital on the sidelines, what we call dry powder. Remember that yes. term from the Bay Area? Yeah. We need much, much more of that than we think we do for two reasons. One, for survival, but two, for thriving. Yes. Because imagine if, you know, one of my, my uh, colleagues is the general counsel of a company that had so much cash that it swallowed a company three times its size. Yeah. And so... I'm a real proponent for capital before you need it. And there are so many ways to get it. So I don't know what's your reaction to that statement?
1: Oh, I cannot agree more. It's like, you know, when I had a e commerce business and we sold like we had our own brands and all those sort of thing. The thing with bank is or or anywhere, you know, the bank wants to give you money when you have money. When you don't have money, they don't want to give you money. So get Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. So the best time to raise funding is when you don't need it, because then you are not in a desperate situation and you would get better terms. Does not matter if you're raising it from a bank or, or from angel investors or VCs, or does not matter where. So I did the same thing. I always had like, you know, two hundred k sitting in the bank account for the rainy day, so when we did need it and we did need it at times, yeah. and it was there to just support us through and take us through the the tough times and it saved the business multiple times to always have that have that sort of yeah treasure chest kind of thing for the Absolutely. rainy day, yeah
0: and I you know going back to your question on growth, capital feels growth, yes. and so. One of the things that I, I love about kind of where, what we're becoming as entrepreneurs, and so this is what I mentor people, I say, get a fractional CFO far before you need them. Because if you think about the roles of a finance person, there's a bookkeeper who does your books. There's a CPA who does your taxes, right? There's mm-hmm. a controller who manages your budget. There's fp a which thinks strategically about how your financial plan matches your strategic plan. There's a VP of finance who manages operations. A CFO, a great CFO is good at really, they're great at many things. But one of the things that they're exceptionally good at is the financial markets and getting you ahead of it. And so a great CFO will will constantly get you thinking about like what you were doing, which is how much capital do we need to survive in our buffer? Where else could we get low cost capital That would allow us to scale. And so I would say that right now, every company should be thinking about not only how do I survive, but what is my scale strategy for the next 12 to 18, 24 months? And so if you don't have a CFO or someone you can talk to, go talk to someone because many of them have been through a couple business cycles and they know that this is a cycle Absolutely. Cycles are massive opportunities. Massive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and capital or, or money it's, it's priced based on the risk. When you don't need it, it is cheaper because the risk is low. And so that's why raise money when you don't need it, (laughs) that, that is much better than when you need it at the last minute and all the credit cards are maxed out and you're really desperate. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Um, I have a few questions about like, you know, you said the transactional model existed before, long before this, but the transactional model was there that you do not have to provide the service. Whereas now it is like a service and we are, so isn't the vendor or, or as a, as a company, you would be worse off or, or anyone be worse off if they implement transactional model for a service based thing, because it's software as a service,
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, it, there are multiple things to take into consideration. I mean, yes. one of the, so let me ask you this question: If you thought that you could lose a third, two, one to two thirds of your customers on a subscription model, but you could actually grow, you could double in size with a transactional model, and then go back to that subscription model. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. So, so that's how I think about it. I mean, here's 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 a couple things I think about business models are designed for optimal situations, yes. but business people are designed to optimize situations. <laughs> so makes um, so much sense. Right. So when your customers are telling you that they don't have the resources, you pivot. There's an example I love to give. May I share it with you?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay.
0: So um, uh, a neighbor of mine, uh, about six months ago, asked me to call into it. Sorry, uh-huh. call Quicken Loans to help him negotiate a forbearance during COVID. Yeah. And we called Quicken Loans. Someone answered on the first ring or uh, uh, Quicken that's Loans. Good. That's good. Exactly. That's good. Number one. Number yes. two, their whole messaging was We got your back. We're here for you. So number two, they were expressing their value to the customer as being, we're thinking ahead. We want to support you. And third, because this gentleman had been a customer over three properties and over a long period of time, they offered him in advance a nine to 12 month forbearance. And that must be massively expensive for any company that lends money. But imagine the amount of loyalty That this person now feels for this company that has, you know, ahead of the game. So I think part of what happens in a crisis is, you know, that your customers are comparison shopping, you know, that your customers are deal shopping like you were doing on AppSumo and you know that your customers are stressed, you know, that your customers don't have a ton of capital. Are there things that you can offer them? Proactively, that lessen the strain, but deepen the relationship. And so as we're coming down the pike of this, whatever is going to happen in January or November, if you're an American, yeah. we've got to be thinking about driving loyalty of our customer base by any means necessary. If you've got good customers, they need to be there for the, for a lifetime. And so that comes either through business model lending them capital, giving them more time, over communicating, like there, this is, this is the time when the greatest opportunity is set. And those relationships go from being transactional to being lifetime, because, you know, like when someone comes and bails you out of a crisis, it changes your relationship with them. Absolutely. Is this, is this resonating with you?
1: Oh 100%. I completely agree. Yes, because you can always release a new product. There is nothing stopping you as a, as a company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You
0: can and go back to your model if you want. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and go back to the SaaS transactional. Yes. Uh, sorry, yeah. Well, you not transactional but SaaS model in in future and they would be much more likely to to keep that business relationship going with your form with your brand or and and so on. Yeah. Right it makes sense. You know, you have so much experience. I can see and I can tell from everything that you have shared. If you had to start all over again, what would you do? Say you don't know anyone in tech, no connections, nothing. Where would you start? What would what path would you take?
0: Oh my! That's the I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> <a great> of <laughs> course, someone on the other side of the equator asked me that question. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Damn hard question. What would I do? So first of all, if I were if I if I were looking at businesses during COVID, what I've what I've seen is a focus on unit economics, right? What is the what is the increment value of cost for a customer, lifetime value of a customer? So I would focus on whatever I built, I'd be very unit economic focused. I started my career very big picture oriented. How do we create something that's massively valuable? How do, you know, these big, big, big ideas. But whatever I would do, I would be unit economic focused. I would build a business that was based on one that had already been successful. I spent a lot of years, Sam, as a founder, which, you know, some people are really good at. That's not my, my best suit. My best suit is taking something that exists and optimizing it for a market, and then growing it and scaling it. So the businesses that attract me today are definitely more e-commerce oriented. So I like businesses that have a deep e-commerce orientation. I like businesses that have really rich unit economics. So I think about cost of acquisition to lifetime value constantly. And I also love the idea of roll-up businesses. So one of the things that um, I mentioned to you earlier in 2018, I wrote a thesis for how to buy and turn around companies because I'd been a CEO doing that. And wow. I found that there were, there were markets where they were incredibly good at starting companies, but not scaling companies necessarily. Yes. And the four markets you live in one. Yes. So New Zealand, Australia, they yes. start, really strong e-commerce and SaaS companies, yes. but the funding market hasn't moved to the entrepreneurial market. So you've got great entrepreneurs who are building incredible businesses, but not enough capital in yes. those, business, in those markets, right? You don't have, we don't, uh, we just don't, don't have, have the same capital. Billions. You don't have, yes. like, we have billions just in Sam, just in the 415, the 510, the yes. 650, right? Yes. The 408, we have Billions of money concentrated. Yes. Australia, New Zealand, UK, and the Nordic countries lack those. So I would move to one of those places and start yes. my there. That's the first thing I would do. Yeah. Um, I'd pick a company with great unit economics. I'd pick yes. a company with a delivery model that was highly scalable. And then I would focus on customers and find other products to build so that those customers were overserved by our business. So um, it looks more private equity than venture capital, but yeah. that's what Makes I would sense. do. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah,
1: that is that is an amazing insight you have in this part of the world, and I cannot agree more. It's like that is so so true. We just don't have the capital, and then the other thing that these countries don't have is also a market, because. I face the same thing. You have to export. You have to move out. And any company that has done well in New Zealand, whether it's a SaaS or tech startup, they have gone, they have gone beyond the boundaries of New Zealand and Australia. They have moved into US, Europe, Asia, all that. And that's when they have really, really become a multi-billion dollar company. And that's what you need because you need people, because like Australia has got pretty much the same number of people as LA area and, you know, New Zealand's just 5 million people. So it's probably like greater Dallas area. (laughs) I don't know, maybe, but it's not, you need customers. It's very simple. Who who do you sell to? You cannot just sell to the five people over and over again. Yeah. You you need the billions um, of people to sell to. So that's why, yeah, I, I completely agree that there are really great entrepreneurs in these markets that you mentioned. They are building amazing products, but Two things: they are missing the capital, and they are missing the market. And if there is someone who can connect them with those two, they are going to do really, really well.
0: And, and you know, you know what? To your point, Sam, I th- I think about the three companies that I love that come out of that region. Yes. Canva. Yep. Atlassian. Yes. And zero. Yep. And what all those three companies have in common? Massive market valuations. Insane.
1: Yes. Yeah
0: incredible products, incredible, yes. incredible products that were well-built yes. early versus had a ton of venture capital. And third, when they came to the U.S. market, they had, ex- they had exceeded product market fit and were unique in their category.
1: Absolutely.
0: So that, when you build a, a capital-efficient company, like yes. what those three have done and like what you've done, when you are ready to go broadly you are much more prepared to capture market at a lower cost. And so that's why I love Australia, New Zealand, Nordic countries, the UK, because crappy entrepreneur becomes very resourceful when they can't just pour money into their business, right?
1: Very, very true. Yep, very true. But yeah, it's it's they all, all these three companies that you mentioned have a unique story. And a lot of companies, they start here, but they move so early on to US that people don't really know that they started here. Like, I don't know, some people don't know, like Allbirds started here in New Zealand, Rocket Lab started here, but they are now kind of, yeah, half in New Zealand, half in US, but they had to, you had to move because... Not many companies want to send satellites in New Zealand. <laughs> They're so small, <laughs> or so you have to move to US or or some other like major market like um, China or India or somewhere like that. So yeah. Before we go, I have these three quick questions that I ask everyone. And first one is: Is there a book that you are reading right now?
0: So there, there is, and it's not what you would expect. So our our political system here in the U.S. has been has been going through a lot. Yeah. I saw I saw a meme out of India that said, "Has anyone tried unplugging the, the U.S. and just plugging it back in again?" Yeah. <laughs> that kind of explains. So I'm reading a book that was written by John F. Kennedy in, in the 1950s called "Profiles of Courage," yeah. and it's a beautiful book that's all about just the fact that leadership requires that we must live outside of the zone of seeking uh, validation. And so this whole book goes through American archetypes of really courageous leaders. And so it's a beautiful book and it's, it was written by John F. Kennedy, one of our presidents a long time ago, John F. Kennedy and read by his son. So it's a beautiful, beautiful book. So that's what I'm reading now. Now
1: that's great. And is there a podcast that you listen to?
0: I listen to many but I've been I've been I've been watching a lot more documentaries. My favorite if yes. I can say that sure, is sure. called it's called The Playbook. I would love it if you watched it. It's on Netflix. I have
1: a look, Yeah. Have you seen it? No, I will have a look. Okay. Um yeah, yeah. it
0: highlights all the best coaches in in sports history, recent history, the gentleman who coaches Serena Williams. Maybe you. I it. have
1: seen the trailer, and I did. I have marked it as to watch. Yes, I I do know. It. There's a football one as well, or soccer in one as well. And yeah, and yeah, yeah. I've seen the trailer. It's, it's
0: two basketball, two two football, soccer. Doc and
1: Rivers, I think Doc Rivers is Doc the one. Rivers. Yes. The one. Yeah, the
0: one. yeah. 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 So, you know, as you and I, you and I are both leaders. And so we're always working on principles to be a great leader. And so I love that. I love that show. It's, yes. um, it's broken into series. And so I'm less on podcast these days and more just consuming that type of content on Netflix. Oh, so I that's really great. The playbook. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the final question is, if you had unlimited time, resources, and money, what would you build or what would you work on?
0: I'm always doing that. So, I am building a company called The Growth Warrior, which is the book where the book comes from. And I would mentor underdog entrepreneurs. And so, that's what I'm doing. And so, I'm helping them raise capital. So, I offer a free uh, mastermind where I walk them through all the stages of raising capital and through the skills that were highlighted in the book. So, I'm usually doing what I would do if I had unlimited resources and time.
1: That's great that is really really good to hear so yeah. a quick question about your mastermind what do you get out of it
0: <laughs> i great these are sam you're pretty good at this you got to do this for for a uh, living <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i i get two things i get the happiness that you get when you see like i have one of my entrepreneurs she's raising a million bucks and she thought it was impossible mm-hmm. we're halfway through and it's wow. kind of, And so I love that feeling of someone else having the confidence that they didn't have before or what I call conditioning. Yes. The second thing is I get to learn what I know by teaching others and my mind becomes much more organized. I mean, I imagine you feel the same way when you write a book because it forces an organization process. So it helps me organize what I know. And Mm. I just love that. I just love that.
1: Oh, that is great. So final thing, and that is, do you have an ask for anyone listening or watching this? Are you looking for, I don't know, team, investors, customers, anything?
0: I would love for people to go buy my book. And I feel like entrepreneurship is the next revolution. I mean, if you see what COVID has done and taught us, we have to be more resilient, right? We get to be more resilient. And we also get to build better companies that can survive anything. And so we, we changed the book, you know, as we were going through COVID and realized it's really about thriving in uncertain times. And so go to the growthwarrior.com, check us out, buy the book. We've got a ton of amazing content there. And um, I'm just excited to be here with you, Sam. So thank you for having me.
1: No, Thank you so much, Promise, for your time and sharing all your knowledge and all your wisdom. What I will do is I'll put links to everything, like links to your book, links to your social profiles, everything, so people can get in touch with you. People can go and have a look at your book and read it. So thank you once
0: again for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights. That would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.